Well, how's everybody doing this weekend? Doing all right? I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now, uh, maybe in the chapel or the warehouse or an off-site campus here in the southeast or the Midwest, Denver, Vancouver. We're glad that you guys are along too. And those of you that are um, joining us online uh, right now at the online campus, we're glad that you have chosen to join us today. Yeah, we're finishing a series. We've been in a series for about four weeks, and uh, it's called Fighting for the Heart, um, and it's all about the next generation and how we can uh, invest in, so into the next generation. But today's the last week, and uh, it will be geared really specifically at uh, parents. You'll find stuff. If you're not a parent, you will find stuff that God will speak to you. He does that, but we're going we're gonna to zero in on parents today. And uh, then I want to tell you just a minute about the next series. I'm really excited about it. Um, we're going to start a series that we're calling Rebuild um, when, when It's Not Enough to Dream. Dreams are good, but sometimes you just need to rebuild. Uh, how many of you know that it's harder to retake ground that you've once held than it is to take new ground sometimes? For instance, you're trying to lose weight. Anybody ever done that at all? Okay. Trying to lose weight, you know, and you lose, you know, five pounds or whatever or ten pounds, and you kind of drift a little bit or something happens, and you come back and you've gained about half of it or three-quarters of it back, but you re-up to do it again. It's just hard to retake ground uh, that, you've already, uh, that you've already taken once. And so we're going to talk about that, rebuilding, rebuilding various areas of our lives. And, uh, but here's another truth, though. The exciting thing is that restored things oftentimes are more valuable than they were originally. And so we're going to kind of apply that. It's actually a study of the book of Nehemiah. It's going to be about eight weeks, and so it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm excited about doing it. Now, today, today, all right, audience participation here in the campuses. I want you out loud to respond to this. I'm going to give you a phrase, and I want you to fill in the blank, okay? Here it is. I would love to have more All right, good. Somebody right up close said, more money. Guess what? You can have more money. You really can. All you've got to do is uh, either, you know, work a second job, get a raise, you know, but uh, have somebody very wealthy that you're related to die, you know, those types of things. <laughs> you can get more money. Somebody over here said, more hair. You know, here's the truth about that. If you have enough money, you can get more hair. Okay? I heard several of you over here say, time, time. That's probably the biggest response, isn't it? Time. I wish I had more time. Would you agree with me that time is fast moving, time is limited, and you will never have more of it than you have right now? You can wish for more. You can ask for more, but you're never going to get more. You have a limited amount of time. So the issue is not, how can I get more time? The issue is, how can I use the time that I have more effectively toward whatever it is that um, I have going on? Now, the use of time is is important. Um, if, If I was able to hang out with you long enough, I could discover how your family uses time. And what I would discover is this, is that there are regular rhythms that your family has 
And that's how you invest your time. It's where your time goes. Every family has them. Rhythms are patterns that are repeated over and over and over again. I don't care how creative you think you are. You know, you might say, well, you know, I don't even drive the same way home from work or I like new things or whatever. doesn't matter. You are a creature of habit. Now, some of you don't agree with me. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever gone to someone's house? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this. But you go over to somebody's house that you don't know well, and you walk in, and they say, go ahead and have a seat anywhere you want to. And you have a seat anywhere you want to. And there's this odd feeling that you are sitting in someone else's seat. <laughs> Anybody ever, ever done that? Not a lot, but I do all the time. Maybe it's part of what I do. Uh, our, our house. We have two people living in our house, two, Debbie and me. We have a two-car garage. We have a double, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you call it, driveway, double driveway. Now, you can park anywhere you wanted to, really, but if I park in Debbie's parking space, even though there's plenty of room for her to park, I'm going to get dressed down about that. And she probably is going to do, or if she does it, I go, hey, what, what's up with you in my parking place? Because we're a creature of habit. If you're married... If you're married, I challenge you to go home today, and when you go to bed tonight, just switch sides of the bed and see how that works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the real indicator. I come out here every week and do this, you know, and I see you guys, and I recognize your faces, and some of you sit in the exact same place. <laughs> you guys right there, you have been there forever, okay? And here's what will happen. If somebody was to come early and take their seat, a guest to our church would come early and take their seat. They would walk by and give them a dirty look. That's my, that's my chair. In the campuses, let, let me talk to you about Freeport. I, was there, I have not been to Freeport for 24 years, and I will guarantee you that I could predict where some of you are going to sit because you've been sitting there for at least the 35 years that I've known you, okay? Because we are creatures of habit. We have regular rhythms that we stick to. Now, Rhythms in your home actually shape family values. Rhythms establish what's acceptable and what's not. Rhythms establish what we talk about and what we don't talk about. Uh, some of the things, things may become a, a part of the daily rhythm uh, that are, are, thing, are, the things that become a part of our daily rhythm are things that our family have come to believe that are most important. We do what we think is most important. It's not necessarily what we say is most important. See, uh, we only really believe in the things that we believe enough to, to actually put into practice. Would you agree with that? Some things may conceptually be important from a parental point of view, but if they're not part of the family rhythm, kids will perceive them of little value. It can be all kinds of things, you know. It can be God stuff. It can be exercise stuff. It can be all, anything that we talk. We say, boy, this is really important. But if we don't do it, if it's not a part of the regular routine or habit or rhythm, then the kids say, that, that's, not really, that's not really a value. Daily rhythms also define what is normal. What is normal? Normal for your family. You, you happen to believe that your family is the most normal family on the planet because of the things that you do. You go to somebody else's house, they do it differently, they're, they're a little strange. You're normal. You know, what maybe normal for you might be going to school Monday through Friday, it might be an hour of homework every day. It might be having a friend over once a week, usually on Friday night. It might be Saturday mornings that are, you know, basketball or soccer, football, 
you know, um, uh, ballet could be could be anything. But you've got a regular routine with the kids that you do every week, or maybe it's dropping them off, you know, at an ex's house. You've got a re- it's normal for you. Whatever normal is, you do regularly. You do regularly. Parents determine normal by the rhythms that they establish. Now, here's the question: How normal is God in your home? How normal is God in your home? In our home, we have at least two things that we eat on. We have nice china, and we have paper and plastic. Okay? Let me, let me tell you about this. This is normal. This is not. This is not. No, here, here, listen. Almost every day we eat on this. This is just a part of our lifestyle. If this could hear conversations, it would have heard a lot of laughter, a few tears, some joy, family events. It would have been around for, you know, birthday parties, late night snacks, all that kind of thing. In our family, just our family. Now, I have a friend here in the church that said they eat on China every day. That's just weird. In our, in our family, we bring this out when? Holidays. Two of them. What are they? Thanksgiving and Christmas. All the rest of the time, they sit on a shelf, right? So we can see them. But we don't use them. We use, we use this. This one. Go get a plate. That doesn't mean go get one of these. It means this right here. Now, some of you are going... You know, you're judging me right now. <laughs> you're going, we don't use China either, but we use real, real stuff because we recycle. Hey, I, you know, I don't care what you do. I'm normal. <laughs> this, is what, this is what normal is for us. Now, what's, what's interesting is, is when we bring this out, when we bring this out, we are all uptight. Because mama don't want this being abused. How do you know that? And you know the principle. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. When daddy ain't happy, nobody cares, right? Okay, so, so when this comes out, it, we are all uptight. In fact, today, when I said I was going to use this as a prop and I'm bringing it from home, I didn't go to Walmart and buy this stuff. This is the real deal. The people who set this up, they were all nervous. We can't drop this because this isn't normal. We just use it. Look at this, okay? So, for some of us, our faith was like that growing up. For some of us, it was important, but we just didn't bring it out much. We kind of put it on a shelf. We looked at it, but it wasn't a part of normal for our life. Some were raised in a home where faith wasn't talked about at all. It just, it just wasn't a part of the, of the conversation, for others, maybe it was talked about, but it wasn't a part of the daily rhythms. Just, just at holiday and when we had special guests, you know, we, we, would, uh, we, we, would, uh, we, we would bring it out. Some of us, maybe we only went to church a couple of times a year. And when we went, we were uptight. We, we didn't know how to act. Our prayers were more about God don't let our kids embarrass us than anything else. Okay, it's just the, kind of the way, kind of the way way we lived. It's just, that's how it was. For others, God was a part of your Sundays, but that was about all. You, you know, you dressed up, you went to church, 
and we did our God thing, and then we went home and did our real thing, our normal thing as a family. For some, <laughs> this was my family growing up, God was a part of the daily rhythm, and uh, it was well-meaning, but sometimes it was pretty awkward. I can remember my dad every once in a while, he'd get on a kick, just every once in a while, we're going to have family devotions at dinner time, okay? And dad was a preacher, and so the only way he knew how to do devotions was to preach a little bit. And it was pretty boring, to be honest with you. It, it was just, you just had to endure it. Now, dad and mom lived it before us in other ways, but as far as the formal part, sometimes it was a little, sometimes it was a little awkward. So what's the goal? What's the goal? The goal is this, that God not be the china that we take out occasionally, and other, other times we put on a shelf and we look at it, that God become the paper plate or whatever it is. That God is a regular part of the rhythms. God is the normal in our, in our home. And we're going to talk just a little bit today about how, how, to, how to do that. Before we do, let's, let's look at the word. Uh, Moses, we're, we're studying from Exodus chapter 6. And uh, uh, this, this is the, the most crucial passage of Scripture uh, in Jewish uh, custom. It is a turning point in the whole story of God among the Jewish people. Moses is leading Israel from one cultural rhythm to another. Let, let me explain that. For 40 years, the generation that was now going to enter the promised land had wandered in the wilderness. That was frustrating. Had to have been. What should have been a 40-day hike took 40 years. Now, on the other hand, the upside, there were daily reminders of their dependence on God. God was normal for them. Every day they had to depend on God. First of all, they depended on God for their food. What were they going to eat? How do you feed a million people wandering through the wilderness where there's no McDonald's, there's no Starbucks, there's nothing like that. How do you feed them? How do you feed them? So God had a system. Do you remember what it was? It was manna that came from heaven. I was with one of our younger uh, part of our team this week, and, and he said, what is manna exactly? And I thought, well, everybody knows what manna is, don't you? No, I don't know what manna is. Manna were flakes that every morning they would come from the sky. Think frosted flakes without the frost. Okay, or Wheaties from heaven, all right? And every day, they would go out, and they were instructed to gather enough manna to feed their household for that day. If they gathered too much, it would spoil, and it would spoil all of it. Except for on the Sabbath, they were to gather twice as much the day before, and it would last so that they could rest on the Sabbath. And so they went out, and it proved their dependence. on Every day, they had to depend on God. And they ate manna for every meal. In the morning, they had manna bread. At noon, they had manna burgers. Um, at night, they, they, would, they would have uh, manna sandwiches, and they'd wash it down with what? Manna shavits. That's right. Just a thought. Just a thought. Come on, don't hiss and boo. So they depended on God for, for their food. They depended on God for their direction. What was their GPS on that 40-mile track? It was a cloud in the morning or during the day and a fire at night. And so, and so if they needed to go, where, where are we going today? Well, God will show us. Well, how will he show us? Look for the cloud. They looked for the cloud and they'd follow the cloud. At night, the fire would rest. 
And sometimes they'd have to go at night, and if the fire moved, they would go. They were dependent on God for everything. God was a part of their daily lives. They didn't have distractions. There was no cell phone service. They didn't have iPads. There was no words with friends. No Starbucks. No Broncos, Bears, and Panthers. <laughs> I'm so excited. No Tigers. No Gamecocks to cheer for. Just God doing his thing every day. But Moses knew that was about to change. They were going to go into the promised land. They were going to wonder anymore. They were going into a different land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he tells parents and he tells all of Israel that they're going to have to get more intentional about creating rhythms to tell the story of God. Because there's not going to be this daily food. There's not going to be this daily, you know, direction. Because now they're entering the promised land. And he says, this is a land that's filled with milk and honey. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to get prosperous. God is going to bless you. And when he does, you're going to acquire things. And when you acquire things, you're going to get distracted. And when you get distracted, instead of God being normal, God's going to become compartmentalized. He's going to, where he's a part of every day right now, he's going to, it's going to be where he's just a little part of each day. It's the God part. It's God first thing in the morning. Say your prayers and then it's do your thing all day. Put God on the shelf. And then it's going to go from there to God once a week and some of you will honor the Sabbath and, but ultimately you'll even forget that and it'll just be special occasions, just an occasional celebration and then ultimately... God will be put on the, the shelf. And rather than being at the center of the culture, he will become marginalized and squeezed out of the life and culture of the nation. Can I talk to you just a minute? I, I, I think we're at, at a real danger point, to be honest with you. We have entered the promised land. Even the poorest among us are better off than the rest of the world. There was nobody here probably got out and looked, searched the sky for manna or miraculous groceries this morning. You may not be well off. You may have a lot of bills. You may not be as well off as even a neighbor or somebody else in the church, but you are better off than most of the world. We're in, we live in the promised land. And because of that, the more we acquire, the more options we have, the more likely we are to become distracted. And God, rather than being at the center of our lives and at the center of our culture, he becomes marginalized, becomes marginalized. We compartmentalize him to one day a week. Actually, it's part of the day. Just, you know, hour and 15 minutes on the weekend. And then we oftentimes go and enjoy all the stuff we have. And the stuff's good. But the stuff will distract us and lead us away. We've eliminated God from the public discourse in our, in, in our nation. It's an embarrassment sometimes to even talk about God. Occasionally, we bring him out with the China. And I believe we are in danger of losing the story of God to future generations. I believe that. I believe that our nation is at a critical point right now. You know, we've got a presidential election. You say, well, elect the right guy. Well, that's probably good. But there's something that will last even longer than that. Our families are where it's at. Our families. Are, I, I want a nation that's, um, that is uh, uh, 
open to uh, God. I want a nation that allows us as a church to do what we're doing. We've got to fight for those values. But in our families is where the rubber hits the road. And I believe our families are more at risk and desperate for Moses' advice today than even when he gave it. In Deuteronomy 6, in verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I want to back up just a minute. Let's talk about election. You need to vote, okay? That's a part of our responsibility as, uh, as, as people, and it's a part of the whole flow that we're talking about even today. I, won't, I wouldn't dare tell you who to vote for. But you need to vote godly values. You need to be informed. You need to look at this stuff. And then even more than that, you need to go inside and say, how does my family reflect the values that God has for us? Moses says, teach them to your kids. You say, well, I don't have the gift to teach. Most people don't. You know how you know somebody that has the gift to teach? Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and they'll say, I have the gift of teaching. You know what my response is? Does anybody have the gift of listening to you? Because usually that kind of goes together, okay? You understand what I'm saying? You say, well, I don't have the gift to teach. Most people don't. And so God didn't say, you know what? You're going to have to hone your speaking skills until you become a great orator and therefore you can, you know, pass down the truth. So you say, I'm not a great theologian. You don't have to be. If you did, nobody would get taught, see? He says, you're going to impress it into your kids. You're going to teach them. How do you do that? Moses suggested a rhythm of teaching that cooperates with nature and it's transferable to any culture. Every culture gets up in the morning, moves around during the day, shares a meal at some point, and then lays down and goes to sleep at night. And Moses' rhythm cooperates with how God works. God is saying, put the china away, okay? I'm not the china. Make me a part of the daily rhythms of your life. I want to do life with you. Every family will have to find a rhythm that works. I'm going to talk about some rhythms today. Let me just say to you up front, I know that the rhythms I'm going to talk about work really, really well with little kids up to about middle school age. I'm going to really focus in on that. When you get beyond middle school age, how many of you know everything changes? Everything changes. You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, well, let's leave that alone. Everything changes <laughs> at middle school age and up. And so it becomes more difficult. Some of the things I'm going to talk about, um, you know, you, you don't tuck your high schooler into bed at night. You know, that's just weird. It doesn't happen. It's hard to have breakfast together with a, with a teenager because they sleep through it. Okay, that, that type of thing. They wake up at about noon. You know, it, it, even if their bodies are up, they're not quite awake yet. And so what you got to do is you got to be flexible. Let me say up front before I give you the rhythms, that as our kids got older, we had to get really flexible about rhythms. Um, sometimes the rhythm, I, I did everything I could to get involved in my kids' lives. I I learned how to fish because they knew how to fish. I didn't care anything about fishing, but one of our people in our church taught them how to fish, so I'd go fishing. Um, I learned how to coach basketball. I'd never played basketball in my life, didn't know anything about it, but my kids were into basketball, so I learned how to coach mainly so I could spend time with them and be a part of it. Sometimes we just hung out. Now, if you just hang out, there's no guarantee that anything significant relationally is going to happen. 
you know, hang out for about four hours. There's no guarantee. But I can guarantee you this. If you're not around, nothing significant relationally will happen. And so you just got to get creative in some of this kind of thing. And I understand as your kids get older, it gets more challenging. But the principles are true. So let me give you from the book that we've been kind of uh, looking at this week, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity or in this series. They suggest four times uh, from this passage, from Moses' passage, that parents can leverage to pass on the story of God in their family, finding a family rhythm. And by the way, we're probably not going to fill in all the blanks today. Okay, for some of you, you've got to do that in order to sleep tonight. Just pray and ask for God's grace, because we're probably going to do the front page, and that's probably about it. All right, here we go. Here we go. Number one, establish values while you eat. Establish values while you eat. Um, Mealtimes, Moses said, when you sit down to eat, mealtimes are great times for focused discussion. You're there. You're focused. Now, let me just say this, in order to, to have value in mealtime, you got to eat together. That's so hard these days. I mean, when I was growing up, we did it. You know, mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she cooked every night, and we, all, most nights we were there until I got maybe in high school and had, you know, wrestling stuff and all that. But most nights we were there. Now, Debbie and I, we don't cook. We've thought about selling our, our stove and oven. And getting a membership at like Outback Steakhouse or something, you know, because we don't cook. So, and some of you are like that. Some of you are like that. And so you're going to have to get really, really intentional. I love the fact I've heard from several families who that's a priority. They're kind of countercultural and all of that. And they're saying family meals are going to be a priority. We can't do it every night, but we can do it one night or two nights or three nights a week. When you make that a priority, it's a good thing because you can teach Values are great for focused discussion. You open up a discussion at the dinner table. Now, dads, a monologue is not a discussion. You need to get your hair cut. That's not a discussion, okay? Um, and you got to ask the right questions. Let me give you some wrong questions to ask. How was your day? What's the answer to that? Fine. You've got it. How was school today? Good. How was the test? Did you do okay on the test? Okay. Is there anything you want to tell me? Nope. Okay, you got it. Those don't work. All right, how have you know that? So let me help you a little bit. Here's some discussion questions. What's the meanest thing somebody could say to you? What's the meanest thing? Hey, think about that. Somebody said this. You know what you can do with that? You can just kind of have a little discussion on that and how, how words are values. Words have life and death. There's power of life and death in them. Ephesians 4.29, if you want to go there, it says, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, only that that's helpful for lifting others up. You can just kind of twi- turn those into little, little conversations if you want to. Um, if you could ask God to change one problem in the world today, what would you like him to change? Kids get a little bit older. Even the young kids will have an answer, something like that. Uh, if you knew you had six months to live, what would you do differently? See, those are pretty good questions. You say, well, where do you come up with those questions? Help us, Pastor. Here it is. Google. <laughs> That's right. Google teen discussion starters Christian. And you'll have enough for months and months of discussions. Okay? Now, my kids are better at this than I was. I've talked to you about that before. My daughter-in-law had a creative idea about how to use mealtime 
with her kids, and she developed something called truth cards. First gave them uh, for Christmas presents, kind of just crude and written on uh, for our family members, and they worked so well in our family that I encouraged her to start a business on it. And so she did. And let, let me show you, and she sold thousands of them. Let me, let me show you how she, how, the story of, of how she did it. We played soccer with all these girls. Mommy flew a plane and landed right there in that when Jason and I first started having kids, we really felt the desire to train them up in the way that they should go. Yeah, we, we knew that we really wanted to instill in our children a spirit of generosity and servanthood and most of all, just knowledge of the Lord and scriptures. Life is just crazy with little kids and so we knew that if we wanted to really pour into them that we were going to have to do it in the regular rhythms of life. During meals, as we're driving in the car, at bedtime, just make it a regular part of our day. Well, our first daughter was about one and a half and our second had been born and one night I was just praying about this like weighty responsibility that I felt like the Lord had given us and teaching our children the Word of God. and. I, at the time, we were using we were using flashcards to teach our oldest daughter words, and I felt like the Lord just quietly spoke to me in my spirit and said, "What if instead of just saying things like the sheep says ba, when you're teaching her these words, what if you were using this as an opportunity to speak my word over her?" We just try to incorporate it into the day. If we're doing a verse, um, like we grew some flowers this summer, so. For our last verse of the summer, we did the flower verse. And so the girls, whenever they see flowers now, that's what they think about. They think about looking at the flowers of the field and seeing how they grow. And yeah, we really just try to incorporate it into what we're already doing because we don't have time to add anything else into our daily rhythm. There's really nothing more rewarding for me than hearing them use God's Word, hearing them pray at night, starting to pray on their own, and it's just, it's a huge blessing for me. So they look like this. They, they have a picture on one side and then the verse on the other side. And she has wild cards in there where you can put your own picture on some of them with whatever verse that you want. So this one says Papa, and it's my picture on it. And they all know this, and they know that Papa's life verses Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So that's kind of cool. Now, if you have truth cards, and you have one that says Papa has my picture on it, that's just weird, okay? <laughs> that's just weird. Establish values while you eat. Uh, second thing you can do is interpret life while you drive. He says when you're on the road, when you're walking. We, we drive a lot. We drive a lot. And so you can, you can, drive times are great for informal conversations. Just talking about whatever comes up. Just talk about it. Um, it's kind of like, uh, rather than being parents, you're kind of like friends during drive time. Um, how do you do that? Well, for example, you're driving along, you know, going to school or going wherever you are, and traffic's bad. And everybody's kind of frustrated. Kids are, when are we going to get there? Da, 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 da. Why don't you just talk about how you're feeling right now? I get frustrated. I get 
Right? Like, get impatient. And then if you want to, you know, throw that somewhere else, you can go, why do you think we get impatient? And then you can talk about the fact that one of the gifts of the Spirit or fruits of the Spirit is patience. And that God wants to give us patience. And how does he give us patience? By putting us in impatient situations. So right now we can either complain or we can grow. And you know what? Just admit that you have a hard time with it too. Talk about nature. You know, sunset, sunrise, rainbows are great, especially with little kids. Talking about what that meant to Noah and the promises of God. Discuss, discuss what you hear on the radio. Just interpret life while you drive. Third thing you can do is build intimacy before you sleep. He says, when you lay down, when you lay down, build intimacy before you sleep. Tucking kids in at night is a great time to build intimacy. If you send your kids to bed rather than tucking them in, you're missing a great opportunity to hear their heart. And we sit down on the couch and we're watching TV or whatever, and it's bedtime. Hey, kids, go on. It's time to go to bed. Go get in your bed. All right, you got 10 minutes till you got to be quiet. Just go get in your bed. We do that. But you know what? We miss it when we do. This is a wonderful time to, 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 to tuck them in rather than send them to bed. I asked my family for current examples. And uh, uh, Jenna said that with their girls, they read the storybook Bible. She said recently their oldest, during a reading uh, at bedtime, asked, why did God make mosquitoes? Now, have you know, your kids at those times can ask deep theological questions. How big is God? Where did God come from? Did God always exist? I don't understand that. Those are great opportunities, parents, for you to minister. Don't call me and ask me the question. <laughs> Figure it out. What do you do during those times? What do you do? If you don't know what it is, make stuff up. You know, that's all you got to do. Make stuff. No, here's what you're, well, you can do that. But uh, so here's what I did. I went to Google. I Googled, why did God make mosquitoes? Did you know that there are pages and pages and pages of people's theories about why God made mosquitoes? I read a bunch of them. You know what I discovered? Most of those people made stuff up. Okay, that's all they did, <laughs> made stuff up. But you can find your answers to a lot of things that way. Uh, uh, I asked Joshua and Lisa, because I know um, they do the same thing. They write a little, read a little... Uh, kids Bible and, and then they, they pray and Lisa said it's fun to watch Miles especially the, my oldest grandson five years old um, watch him grow in his prayers his prayers started out being prayers for doors and walls <laughs> dogs trucks things like that um, sounds like a country song but anyway now she said his prayers are like unsolicited prayers for family members you know just cousins and praying for them and praying for Papa and also uh, for friends. And uh, one night uh, during the prayer time, he, he asked the question, how big is God? And so Josh and Lisa said, well, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, so he must be really, really big. Miles thought about that a minute, and then he contextualized it to his world. He said, is he big enough to beat the big, big giant dragon in Mario? I mean, that's the biggest thing he knew of. And they said, yes, Miles, he's big enough. He was much bigger than the big, big giant dragon in, in Mario. And so what they have with Miles is they have a three-prayer request limit, okay? Because he'll go on and on and on and on. So they have three, three prayer requests that they'll pray over. And then they say, okay, you can take about 10 minutes, and you can talk to God about anything you want to, and then you've got to go to sleep. And they leave. 
And they said, I've heard him talk about this several times before. They'll walk outside the door and just spy on him to hear what he's saying to God. Because he opens up to God. It's, it's a normal, it's paper plates for them. It's a normal part of their life. And so that night, after they're, they're outside the door listening, he says, he says to God, God, I know you're big and everything. Mom and dad say you could beat the giant dragon on Mario, but I just don't know. He said, the dragon is so big. And he pauses a minute and he says, well, I guess you can, but it's going to be really, really hard. <laughs> See, nighttime is a time when you can almost become your kid's counselor in the privacy of their room. That's a great place for them. When they get mad, what do they do? They go to their room, slam the door. They don't want anybody in there. They put little signs as they get older. My clubhouse, no, no girls or no guys, whatever it happens to be. That's their place. And when they invite you into their place to tuck them in, it can be a time where intimacy really is formed. So establish values while you eat. Interpret life while you drive. Build intimacy before you sleep. Let me give you one more. Install purpose when you rise. Install purpose when you rise. Mornings are a blank page to plant an emotional seed in the heart of your child. Carefully spoken word in the morning before they go to school can, can instill a sense of value and a sense of purpose. And so maybe we should be saying, God, what can I say today that will prepare them for whatever they face throughout this day? How can I give them fuel in the morning so that they can face anything today? I asked several young couples what they do, and several of them said, you know, we speak blessings over our kids. Greg and Tara Banks, uh, Tara is our worship leader here at the Long Point campus, um, one of the worship leaders. She's head of the worship department. And uh, she said this, she said, we speak a blessing every day, every day over our two boys. It's the same one every day. She says, we say to them, you are the top, not the bottom, the head, not the tail. That comes from Deuteronomy, from what Moses said about the blessings of the law. He said, you will always go before and you will never lag behind. You will always love your church, the Bible, and to worship. You will be a Holy Spirit terrorist, pushing back the kingdom of darkness and being mighty in the kingdom of God. You'll be a blessing as you love God, love people, and love the things that God loves. You'll be more than a conqueror in Christ and will become more than we could ask or imagine in Jesus' name. That's a pretty good thing to say to your kids as they go, isn't it? Uh, others said, we say to them, the peace of God will guard your heart today. Somebody else said, we quote to them, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Doesn't matter what you do today, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. One mother said that she prays over her child every day. God will bless you today with godly friends. A father said he prays, may the police never know your name. And, you know, and whatever. Whatever, you know. Whatever works. Whatever works in your culture or context. Let me ask you this. What if every family decided to take advantage of the opportunities that every day brings to normalize God into our lives? Do you think that would make a difference? Do you? Do you think it would make a difference? Do you think that would keep the story of God alive in the next generation? Do you think that would help to stem the tide of secularism and pushing God to the corners in our society? I think it would. What's it going to take? To create a rhythm, you've got to make it a priority. You've got to capture the time that we all want more of and just use it for good. You've got to be flexible. You know, rhythms require two things. They require intentionality and consistency. 
Let me tell you about time. If you took advantage of everything our church had to offer for your kids, you brought them here every weekend, did everything that we had to offer, we'd have them for about 100 hours a week. Or okay, a week, yeah. No, thank you. A year. <laughs> Read a statistic that said the average fourth grader will spend 400 hours playing video games. Parents, you have nearly 3,000 hours each year. What happens in your house is more important than even what happens in this house. You can make a difference. Let me close this series by reading the last page in the chapter that, um, from the book that we've been looking at. And it's, he, the, the author said this, the goal is not to do everything, but to engage in doing something more. If one dad who hasn't been praying with his 10-year-old daughter starts praying with her, if one mom who hasn't connected with her teenage son convinces him that she really cares, if one family that rarely discusses spiritual issues starts talking about God at dinner, even occasionally, if anything changes in the rhythm of the home to remind everyone that God is telling this story through their family, if something that is taught at church is creatively reinforced at home, then it's more impacting than any parent can imagine. Create a rhythm. You can make a difference. I'd like every parent who has kids in the home, here and in the campuses, would you stand right now? Every parent that has children in the home, here and in the campuses, would you stand right now? Okay. We're partners in this. We're going to do it together. I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every man and woman who stood here today and in the campuses or maybe on the internet. God, you have entrusted us with the precious gift of your children, your kids that you love. God, help us to love them with the love that you have. Give us strength to pass the story to the next generation. Give us wisdom as in our home we create rhythms that will sustain and support the story of God. Help us to make your story the normal part of our life. God, we, we need you. God, I pray for your wisdom for every family. I pray for those who may have kids who are wayward, that moms and dads love so much but that are making decisions that are so contrary to their own family values. I pray for them now. God, you care for them more than even a parent could. God, I pray for any mom or dad that's standing and listening to my voice right now who may feel a twinge of guilt. It comes from the enemy. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would just give us a spirit of, you know what, I'm going to do whatever the next thing is within the power that you've given me to do. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to make it supernatural. And Father, I thank you for that. I bless every family that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.